0: They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: Hello, chickens. This is the fabulous Adam Richard, and I have a theory. Oh hey chickens, we're rewatching the Halloween Apocalypse um, as I go through the whole flux before we get to, <laughs> it's probably going to take me the entire three months um, <laughs> to get to April. I mean, we're, I'm only guessing that it's going to be on in April, the next one. It could It could well be not until May or June. No, June is like, I think technically winter. And they said it's in autumn. Anyway, we're we're guessing. I'm I'm aiming for the Easter weekend, um, which I think is like April seventeen weekend. Anyway, thereabouts. Um, anyway, we are at a food bank in Liverpool where Dan is uh, helping to hand out food and is refusing to take any soup. Oh my god, this is a mistake, Dan, as we know. Um, he then he goes on about how no one really likes soup. It's I don't mind soup. It's very. It's a very declarative statement. Nobody likes soup. It's a very, you know, stand-up comedian thing to say. No one likes soup. Does anyone like soup? Hey, guys, who here likes soup? (laughs) Um, By the way, I know I keep talking about that terrible Six in the City show, but there is a stand-up comedian character in there played by Sarah Ramirez from Grey's Anatomy, and uh, they are a terrible, terrible comedian. (laughs) Like, it's just lots of shouting declarative statements and getting the audience to applaud and, you know clap and say it's like when when do you actually do any jokes um anyway (laughs) and all the gigs that they do uh the audience is always standing up and i'm like oh my god that fills me with anxiety as a comedian like you don't want standing up audiences like you want them to be sitting down like i was telling um my mate justin hamilton uh you know as you've heard on this podcast um we go for walks around the park on the weekends and i was saying how terrible this show is and i can't stop watching it like um (laughs) as my friend sal calls it she thinks she says it's a pity watch (laughs) she watched um tick tick boom which she said was a pity watch for lindman i I don't understand um anyway uh yeah i was telling justin he goes ah even at Splendor in the Grass or at Falls or one of those things, like when everyone's standing up, even though it's a music festival, when they go to the comedy tent, they sit down, even though there's mud everywhere. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is weird. Uh, anyway, enough about that terrible show that I can't stop watching. That uh, I have like because I have affection for the characters, and I, I just, you know. I guess that's what happens with some Doctor Who fans. Like, they love Doctor Who so much that even when they hate it, they keep watching it. And then it just... Then hate is all they know. Um, all right. We're <laughs> at the food bank. <laughs> um, with Dan talking about not liking soup. Um, and there's this weird buzzing outside. It's the, the other woman at the food bank. It's like, did you see that? And then we see from an alien computer eye thing... Um, Watching Dan lock up the the food bank. And then he's, he heads home. Uh, and he answers the door to some cute trick-or-treaters. Like, telling the kids they're the last ones. He's obviously run out of lollies. Um, and then a fat bloke with beer and some eggs knocks on the door and says trick-or-treat. And Dan's like, you're not even dressed up. Um, sends him away. and goes, you better not egg my house. <laughs> um, then Dan goes through his comedically empty fridge and cupboards and regrets not taking the soup. (laughs) Um, Which has been a space axe comes through his door. Okay. Um, Carvanista storms in and says, kneel before the might of the or face execution. Goes on about having conquered all these hundreds of worlds. I'm like, Carvanista does not sound like a decent dude. Um, And he takes his helmet off and reveals his dog face uh and this is when he reveals his civilization vanquishing CV to Dan um <laughs> and Dan's like completely nonplussed about the civilization vanquishing but thinks it's an impressive halloween getup um yeah i don't know how i feel about this uh colonization aspect of ravenester um is is this meant to make us feel okay about the british i don't know <laughs> <laughs> They're just cute dogs. Don't don't hate them. Um, so, Carvanista tries like a Jedi mind trick thing on Dan uh, to make him not resist. Um, but he does. He's like, nah, I don't think so, mate. <laughs> uh, then Dan has a little pat of Carvanista's fur <laughs> and touches his nose. So this is quite realistic, isn't it? <laughs> Carvanista's furious. He aims his axe at Dan and then puts him in some kind of energy box. Um... Then the TARDIS arrives on Dan Street, and the Doctor gets excited about Anfield Stadium, starts dropping names, dumb should work there as a ball boy. <laughs> I never know. Um, there's then Sonic's and finds uh, non-terrestrial weapon dispersal traces. Okay. Uh, so they go into Dan's house, but it is empty, uh, obviously. Um, empty of even food. Uh, and there's a weird pattern on the carpet where the energy box thing, which is the Doctor licks and says, oh, a stun cube. It's Lupari tech. I love that this doctor knows things from licking them. (laughs) Like, it seems... I know it seems very dangerous in the age of COVID to go around licking strange surfaces. Um, But, you know, I still find it amusing. Um... Uh, so, obviously, this has been Carvanista, but uh, why did Carvanista take Dan? And so, the Doctor opens up a laptop and Sonic's it to check the planetary orbit, and she finds heaps of Lupari ships headed to Earth, 7 billion of them. And then the Doctor wonders why Dan has a flashy computer when the rest of his place is rubbish, and they realise it's not his. So, they run out of the house before the house kind of, I thought it was going to explode, but it shrinks to toy size. Oh, cute. And then we see a man standing up in his window, sitting on the loo. Half <laughs> his wall's gone. His little shared wall with Dan. Um, they apologize. Bless. Uh, then we're in the Arctic Circle. Okay. Um, a woman and her partner are arguing about where the chilies are when an alert starts sounding. So, they uh, go into the garage and there's this floating thing in there beeping at them. Um... Like, the beeping noise just reminded me. At first, I thought, oh, no, <laughs> this smoke alarm needs batteries. <laughs> but no. Oh, the smoke alarm floats in the garage. Okay, that's not a smoke alarm, Adam. Calm down. Um, so, apparently, someone promised them it would never happen. And uh, they're kind of wondering what to do when the woman just smashes it with a hammer and says, well, well we just never received that warning. Okay. <laughs> She's really, she really wants to have those chilies. Then Dan wakes up in a cage with electrified bars and gets zapped. And Carvanista tells him he's taking him into space and opens a window to show him. Um, And Dan wants to know why he's so special. And Carvanista says, you're not, you're irrelevant. And Dan's like, well, you could have killed me. Uh, But you would have done that earlier if you would. (laughs) Um, the doctor picks up Dan's house from the street, pops it in her pocket, because it's tiny now. And then Yaz challenges the doctor on why she's following Carvanista. And the doctor's evasive and says, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and apparently the doctor told Yaz, I need to see a man about a dog. And that was it. Next thing, chasing Carvanista everywhere. Carvanista's trying to kill them. Um, and then a woman comes down the road and says, hello, doctor, and introduces herself as Claire and says they haven't met but they will in the past if it's true oh that's right because she's psychic we find out later on so that's one of her psychic flashes um, and she's just saying that she didn't expect them to be there she was taking the long way home um, the sonic goes off in the doctor's pocket and it's like she pulls it out like a hot potato like it's burning her uh, and she's like oh the Lipari fleet is getting closer we've got to go and Claire says I'll see you again and then they go into the TARDIS but the door is on some nutty angle now like from the floor um, like it's sort of they have to step down from it uh, like it's yeah and there's also another door across the room the one they left from um, in the street Claire tells herself she has to go home now but she seems really scared like she's kind of geeing herself up for it uh, the doctor tries to take off to go to Carverne's to ship and the TARDIS doesn't respond until they hit it with a rubber mallet always hit things with a rubber mallet it's much more safe than hitting it with an actual hammer as we saw in uh, the previous scene because that smashed the thing apart but a rubber mallet just gives it a nudge apparently difference between rubber mallets and metal hammers Um, the doctor climbs under the console to check things and also to check on her mind because she had a glitch earlier and Yaz is like what you didn't mention it and the doctor's like I don't mention everything and then they have like this full on kind of argument disagreement thing about the doctor being opaque Um, and the doctor kind of points out all the amazing things that they've done since uh, Ryan and Graham left. And Yaz is like, but why are you checking down Carvanista? And that's when the TARDIS lurches and the Doctor notices that the Carvanista's ship is covered in temporal energy. Um... And then we see Claire walking home, and there's a weeping angel in the middle of the street. Ugh, yuck. And, of course, the music started just to really freak me out. Um, All right, more weeping angel, more Flux business, more Carvanista in the next episode.